I've had sellers that ask us to pay them in gold bullion. But that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Gold bullion or crypto. Uh-huh. Crypto but, kind of maybe makes sense, but gold bullion. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I guess theoretically. Maybe they don't want their, their stuff to be tracked. I don't know. Welcome to Turning Profit, a podcast for people that love real estate. Learn the business models and skills that professional real estate investors use to make money and build wealth. Visit turningprofit.com for a wealth of investor resources. And now, here are your hosts, Pete and Heather Reese. Welcome to the Turning Profit Podcast. Heather, it's so great to be here once yeah, again. Yeah, this is awesome. Episode... Something. 26-ish? Mm-hmm. Something like that? almost halfway through the year or half... Wow. Yes. That would be incredible if we're actually at six months. I don't know. We need to actually add it up. I don't know why we haven't. That's what's so funny. Well, I've got them. I've got them in a folder. I just... No, but like I should have it in my head. Okay. You know what I mean? But I don't. Yes. I know. Life, Work huh? on that, Heather. I'm you know, gonna, yeah. I don't I don't know what to tell you. So what are we talking about today? We are talking about potential contract pitfalls. Okay. How not to get stuck with a bad contract when you're selling your land. Pretty important. It is. It is. You know, and the thing about it is that when you... Our well, our business model is. Are you okay? Sorry, did you hear me take it? it? I actually, it's not only just hot, but it was like a very loud sip. Yes, so I just need to. I hadn't that noticed. Uh, anyhow, so what happens? Our business model is mm-hmm. that we buy these properties off market. So we send out mail. We get these properties under contract. We buy them. We close on them, and then we list them with a real estate agent to resell them for us. So this part of the process is that when we list them with a real estate agent. It's on the market. Someone is interested in buying it. They send an offer contract to actually purchase the property. So we're going to be talking about in this episode, things to look out for in that offer contract, because they could be pretty extensive. You know, some of these are 10 to 20 pages long. We're going to be talking about ways that you can uh, review these contracts pretty quickly and efficiently and not get stuck with some really bad terms that are going to, you know, derail your sale altogether, or maybe cost you a lot more money than you had anticipated. Now, if you're using a real estate agent, would this st- like do we still need to know these things? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you definitely still need to know these things. The good agents and brokers will help mm-hmm. guide you through this process. They'll summarize the contract for you, let you know the major terms, and then allow you to uh, you know to counter offer or accept those terms. You know whatever the case may be. But it's always important to have an extra set of eyes on the situation because mm-hmm. ultimately you're responsible as the seller. You're selling this property. When you sign that contract, you're bound to it. You can't get out of it. You know, as a buyer, they can generally get out of these contracts because they've got some due diligence periods and some contingencies that allow them to get out of it. But as a seller, there's really no way to get out of it as long as you're, you know, as long as it's a standard contract. So you're kind of stuck. If you were to try to get out of it, you could get sued. Right. You don't want that. And I know that, you know, we've talked about this maybe in the past about how you could pay off the buyer, the current buyer. Yeah, there are ways that, yeah, there are ways to get out of it. Like you could offer the buyer you know money to get out of the deal or you know some sort of other and they might take it or, or they yeah, might not they, yeah exactly but generally not a good idea unless you've got something some really solid deal that's going to make you a lot more money right because you know? when you start getting into that funny business you might say okay i'm going to bail on on deal number one so i can take a better deal with deal number two but then deal number two bails and now you're out right extra money and no deal yeah and the complications of the matter too are when you have real estate agents involved they're going to want to get compensated. Right. And that's the other thing too. You'd have to offer a commission to the first agent. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's 
theoretically possible. I'm pulling up something I want to talk about today. It's theoretically possible. However, not such a good idea in a lot of cases. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, be careful when you're buying it, but then, or when you're agreeing to the sale, but also we, we kind of have that same thing that like the offer actually in hand is normally better than. Yeah. The, the saying is a bird in hand Thank is you. better than one in the bush. I don't know what that means. I was means, like but waiting for you. I was like, okay, you're going to have to fill in this because you know me. You know, I wrong. came from, I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And they've got, all, they've got all these humble like. Humble beginnings. Yeah. Yes. I did come from hum, humble, humble beginnings. But there's all these little towns in that area. And it's a big tourist thing. Oh gosh, are we going to get into this? Well, the, like bird in hand uh -huh. is one of the. Oh, you're not going to do the inappropriate ones? Well, and then there's paradise. And then there's another one called intercourse. Intercourse, yeah. yeah so it's just kind of funny because these are very conservative Amish areas in a lot of ways, uh -huh. or, or Mennonite, like very strict Mennonite people live there. And then they've got these names that could be perceived in a, in a different way. So now, but, okay. Now I need to put the general disclaimer that I get asked and that people might be thinking, are you, or have you ever been involved in any of these conservative communities? In Amish the sense, or are you Amish? No, no or are not. you, were you, or <laughs> no, and you weren't Mennonite. Just because I'm from there. No, I know I'm not Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in case you're wondering. Yeah. Yes. As soon as people, we love going there. It's gorgeous. It's especially in the fall. It's like, mm -hmm. it's yeah. amazing. It's beautiful. Yeah. Much slower pace of life. But as soon as people find out, oh, he's from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, they're like, is he Amish? I was like, do I? Yes. He's got a horse and buggy <laughs> uh, parked out front. Which just shows that people don't know what that means. Because right. like the qu real question would be, was he, did he used to be Amish? Uh -huh. You know, which is nothing wrong with Amish. Like that's cool. It's whatever. But no, you're not. Haven't right. been. And not Mennonite. Which I had never knew about Mennonite till I met mm -hmm. you. Right. I did never even heard of it. Right. So if you're interested in learning more about that, there are lots of YouTube videos. And Google. And Google, yeah. yeah. I will not be going into it because I'm not an expert. Okay. But anyways, um, okay, so that's what we're talking about today. I want to touch on most of the news stories I've been talking about are commercial. Mm -hmm. And this one kind of like caught my eye because it might not look commercial in like just taking a quick look at it, but it is because so the headline is Park Hotels stops debt service on 725 million loan. Plans to cons uh, surrender Hilton, San Francisco Union Square, and their Park 55 hotels. But wow. bump. So who knows? Like we always say, by the time it makes a headline, there's a really good chance they've got a deal worked out. Mm -hmm. Or this is, you know, this is going to push them to get a deal that they want to use on either side. I don't, I don't know who, re who released this. But it, this is the whole trickle down thing because a lot of this comes down to the fact that people aren't doing conventions. There's not a need for... Um, the prices of hotel rooms are not going up mm -hmm. in San Francisco for whatever reasons. Conventions. Less people actually working in the city that, yeah. that draws those business travelers. Right. Or the people that are like higher up in these companies that were headquartered there are not visiting there because they're not there. Or they just don't have, they're not going into the office, right? Right. Or maybe it's not, some of the conventions are choosing not to host their events in San Francisco because of some of the other issues they're having right now with crime and Things right. like that. Yeah. So it's, this is how the trickle down starts, you know, so it goes to hospitality, I guess. I mean, hotels are commercial, right? But they're in, when I think of commercial, I'm not thinking of that kind of commercial. I think of them more as hospitality. Yeah. It's interesting because it's not just simply a building or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a blended thing. It's the building and it's the business associated with it. So it's, it's pretty much half and half. That's a great facility. But it's obviously going to have this huge business around it that keeps that facility up and running and, and operating the way it should be. I mean, there is a huge tri trickle down effect with these, you know, something like that, because mm -hmm. there are a ton of people that work in those buildings. You know, everyone from the maintenance to the front desk people to all the housekeeping, everyone that works in the restaurants. Mm -hmm. 
And then you've got all these associated companies that are basically supplying all the stuff. Maybe they're supplying right. the linens. Maybe they're supplying some of the food. Maybe they're supplying, you know, all these different things. And then, you know, a, a facility like that shuts down and it does have a big ripple effect through the society. Others kind of satellite businesses and you've got all those people working for those satellite businesses, let alone all the people working in the actual hotel themselves. You know, hopefully they'll be able to keep that thing, those things open. And it's just a ploy to kind of restructure the debt. It's kind of interesting to me. It's it's there's just all different levels. You know, this is some huge investment company that owns this premium hotels and they owe seven hundred twenty five million dollars on it. And they're basically saying, I'm not making my car payment this month. You know what I mean? Right. So. Oh, that's what, you know, that's what I was going to say. St- the strategic default. Yes. Like they're not just like they're we can save this. It's going to happen. No, they're structuring this. They're saying, mm-hmm. OK, actually, I read I found this little quote after much thought and consideration. We believe it is in the best interest for parks as shareholder or stockholders to materially reduce our current exposure to San Francisco market. And then it goes on to say that the San Francisco recovery remains clouded um, and that their concerns are record high office vacancy, concerns over street conditions, lower returned office than peer cities, and a weaker than expected citywide convention calendar for 2027. And this will negatively impact business and leisure demand. And I think that's interesting because, you know, you have the business demand, but the leisure demand kind of like pigtails. Pigtails? Mm-hmm. No. Dovetails? Whatever. It like it it rides on the back of that. The pigtail is like curly. Are you happy? Are you happy with yourself? Are you gonna add that to the list of things that I've said that make absolutely no sense? The worst part is I say it with such authority. You're right. Like I'll use the We've word got a good so list of wrong. This. Yes. And I will but I own and I've had people question it. Like I can see them saying, Oh, that must be I mean, she says it with such authority that yes. this is the right word. Anyway, so it, it just says that they're it's being burdened by this. Okay, they've been up to date on their two point five million dollar project payment every month, all this kind of stuff. But um, okay, so this is what I wanted to touch on. So these two downtown San Francisco hotels were valued at a combined $1.56 billion in 2016. Okay. So when you're thinking about it, that's like a 53% decline from the appraised value to now. But an appraised value, like we always talk about that appraised value means nothing unless someone buys it. Right. Like yeah. we can appraise anything. It doesn't matter, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So to think though, that it's down to that. Um, and then it says that the per key... Price for this is uh, $246,000. Mm-hmm. So their their average of that. So that, I mean, if you that look at- like a good deal. I'd like to buy that. I know. Well, I bet in, you know, but One you of think days. of like $246,000 per key. Mm-hmm. What could you do? Like, Want to learn the secret to building a thriving land flipping business? Head on over to landconquest.com and join over 2,000 passionate land flippers leveraging the power of community to scale quickly. Sign up for free at landconquest.com. All right, let's get back to the show. I mean, condos in San Francisco have got to be worth, like the smallest efficiency condos have got to be worth mm -hmm. three or four times that. That's exactly what I was thinking. Efficiency, like studio. Yeah. It just shows the whole trickle down of of this, all of this kind of stuff, right? Right. So I think the important thing to remember is that commercial is going to be an influx. You know, it's left over from the pandemic. It's left over from just, you know, a different kind of culture, working at home and people are are not doing the same thing as they were before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, it'd be interesting to see how this all plays out. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of turmoil in that market. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously this is another indication of things going on. When these things, when, like when the big dominoes start to fall, you know, they could have uh, impacts on other parts of the real estate market. Thankfully, hotels in the middle of San Francisco don't have a lot of direct impact on the land, rural land business that we're doing generally. But uh, that would be a kind of down the line kind of ripple effect, maybe, you know, as financing and everything were to start 
drying up and just the general economy as a whole, like, I guess it could see some effect from it, but. You know, and I think something else to remember is that nothing's forever. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so important that, okay, let's say that it, it like you're saying, we're already seeing um, money dry up, right? Mm-hmm. It's harder to get lending in a lot of projects and stuff. That's not going to last. And the really big like developers that have been through cycles before are saying, okay, so right now we're kind of at this, it will go back up. It, it always does. Right. You know? And so your goal is if that, if you're in that space is to just get through today. That's right. And then plan ahead for as much as possible. Right. And, and then react quickly, you know, as things are happening, if mm-hmm. there's some direct impact on what your business is, then you've got to adapt. Don't think that things are always going to be the way that they were. You know, you have to adapt to what's going on. Yeah. So the only be aware. What's that one quote? The only certainty is uncertainty. Yeah. Something like that. That sounds good. I know, but it's true, especially in real estate. So, but anyways, let's get, let's move on to today's topic, which is potential contract pitfalls. Yeah. Potential contract pitfalls. I'm going to give you your cheat sheet. How not sheet. to get stuck in a <laughs> bad sheet. Yeah. My cheat sheet. How not to get stuck in a bad contract. So do you want me to go through the bullet points or do you have? I'll it? mention them and then I'll let you. Um, okay. So the first one is always verify what your agent broker tells you about the offer. Exactly. Yeah. So they're generally always going to send you some sort of summary mm-hmm. with the offer. You know, it could be an email, could be calling you by the phone and saying, hey, we got this offer in. Here's what the deal is with this offer. You know, and they'll generally do some bullet points. Hey, the offer price was this. Mm-hmm. The closing date would be this. There are these contingencies. Here's the, that's basically the deal of the offer. So what I mean by that, by saying always verify what your agent and broker tells you about the offer is that you actually need to be reviewing these offers yourself. So like I said, they're daunting some of these offers, especially as you, as you get, you're new in this and you start seeing these things that are 10 to 20 pages long. Now keep in mind, you don't need to read every single sentence in this offer, but you need do need to read the important things. Now, much of these contracts are boilerplate things but they're fill in the blank boilerplate thing. So mm-hmm. you need to definitely be paying attention to those areas that are the fill in the blank or check boxes or anything where there's any sort of text that is written in that is not the standard text in the contract. So that's kind of the, the cheat sheet uh, uh, way, to, way to do things. But my point in saying that is that you always wanna kind of review the contract yourself, just make sure that what they're saying is exactly what's in the contract. And even the best broker is still human. Oh, they're human. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying that as a way to like, hey, you know, they're trying to pull one over on you because that, that would be rare that something like that mm-hmm. would happen. Maybe it's possible, but you just want to basically, you know, double check their work. It's like having an editor if you're writing something, you know, if you're signing your name to it. You need to make sure that what you're the ultimate yeah. last. <laughs> right. Because it's, it's on you the, and the you're bound to these terms. Yep. I mean, and I think people forget too the contracts between you and the buyer or the seller, a buyer. Right. I'm sorry. It's not necessarily between you and an agent. Yeah, yeah. You know? The agents, like, you know, they sign the contract uh, at a certain point, but it's the, the contract is between the seller and the buyer. Right. Um, okay. And so um, let's see here. Look for seller concessions that are outside the norm. And you would normally see this in the spots that are like where you write it in. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of times this is either in kind of one of the last pages of the contract. You know, each state contract is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But it's generally in like an area that's got a couple lines and there's some text that would be typed in there generally by someone or handwritten in there. Or it's also in an addendum. Sometimes they have right. an additional terms type addendum. It'll say like see addendum. Yeah, it'll have a box check and say, oh, see this addendum. Right. You know, so then you look on there. And Actually, that's a good point. If it, that's checked and you don't see it. Yes. Yeah, we've seen that before. You know, right. sometimes they have that box check that says, hey, you know, this contract is you know, subject to these terms on this addendum, but then you don't see the addendum in an offer, you definitely got to uh, 
you know, ask where that's at. Right. And, and have them rewrite it. <laughs> right. Like take that off. Because a lot of times yeah. they might just check it accidentally. Right. Or oh, it might be checked from a previous contract they were doing. Exactly. Because yeah. a lot of them will use ones that are filled out. And it's not, I mean, it's rare that you're seeing one that's like intentionally trying to screw you over. Mm-hmm. Like right. check that and then. And also you normally would initial that area yeah, too. Yeah. You'd have to sign that part of the contract so, as well. But, but it's it's just like, look for, you know, we, t- I mean, we joke about this, that you give me a 10 page contract and I'm like done. Mm-hmm. I like am glossed over. I'm done. And so I create like tricks where it's like, okay, I'll do one page at a time and then refocus. But you are going to share some other tips. Like, because yeah. for you, that's not such a big deal. No, no. I've seen so many of these and they're pretty much all the same in, in their own way. But the, the things that you just have to pay attention to are the stuff that's kind of filled in or checked or something like that. So in this case, you know, look for seller concessions that are outside the norm. I have an example of like seller to pay $8,000 in buyer closing costs that could be written in there in the contract at some point. So you got to look for those things because that means 8, you're paying $8,000. Right. You're the it, seller. Yeah, yeah. You're paying for $8,000 of the buyer's closing costs. Mm-hmm. Could say something like, Seller to remove old mobile home on the property before close of escrow. And that or, could be 10 grand. Yeah, it could mm-hmm. be seller to pay for survey for the property, which could be 10 grand. You know? Well, and something like that, it's interesting because you might think, oh, okay, that's no big deal. But then you find out it's going to be $8,600 to yeah. do a survey of this land or a percentage. Like they'll say, you'll pay one to 3%. It'll have a. Or a percentage where it's mm-hmm. uh, they'll seller to pay 3% of buyer's closing costs. Mm-hmm. Three percent towards closing costs, and that could be an extent. Uh, you know, if it's a hundred thousand dollar property, that could be three thousand dollars. Right, right and if you only have a ten thousand dollar or ten percent profit, like not on that example, but yeah. you know, if you had a property where you're getting ten percent, three percent is going to that. Yeah, that's going to hurt. It might seem that's, like just a little bit, but that it's is going to hurt. Right. So just look for anything that's out of the ordinary. Right. That's exactly. what you're looking for. Yep. Non-standard. Okay. And then you're, I, I like this part too. Ensure that the buyer commits to an ample earnest money deposit to show they're serious. The standard amount varies per area, but that's like a good starting point. It should be standard. Right. You know, the earnest money deposit is essentially, it's a deposit. Basically every contract in every state, you know, mm-hmm. these state contracts all have an earnest money portion built in there. And basically this is a check that the buyer writes as soon as the contract is signed that gets sent to either the closing company, that's generally who it gets sent to, the attorney, title, escrow company. Sometimes they send it to their broker and the broker holds it. But this is kind of like just to show that they're serious. And I've had contracts where offers where buyers have put in, you know, $100 earnest mm-hmm. money deposit. And if they can't, you know, put together more than $100 and it's you know, you're probably not dealing with the serious buyer. Or if so, they are unwilling to, which or they're means that they're not, they're, they want to lock really, it up. So my general rule of thumb is I wrote $500 is kind of my minimum on a regular price property. You know, if it was a super high-end property, you know, a million-dollar property, and someone was going to put $500 earnest money deposit down, I would definitely counter that to much higher. But on a regular, you know, type property, I would want at least $500. That's to show that they're really serious. Generally, it's 1000 though. That's mm-hmm. kind of... A good standard mm-hmm. earnest money deposit. I like more, you know, the more earnest money deposit you get, the more of a commitment that it shows from the buyer. Now, since you are locked in as the seller, mm-hmm. it's important that they put down some sort of commitment because the buyer can get out of a contract for many, many reasons. The seller cannot. So you really have to make sure, like, I would never sign a contract that said $100 earnest money deposit, even though it's very unlikely that it would actually receive that deposit at the end of the day. I just want to know that someone who who is the buyer, I want to know that they're not going to be wasting my time. Right. I, and we've had some competitive properties where there's been multiple people that have wanted it. And some have sent 
here's $10,000 passed or you get it today. Right. Like, and that's okay. These people are committed. They know you that know. if they bail, they're serious. You yeah. still get 10 grand. So mm-hmm. the more that you, that they're putting down, the more secure you can be. Right. I mean, it doesn't mean anything at the end of the day, but mm-hmm. it gives you a little bit back. And then um, you talk about a due diligence period. Yeah. Due diligence period. I mean, this is, these are pretty much standard periods in a lot of contracts, you know, some States it's 17 days, some States it's 21 days. So a lot of these contracts will have that standard time period in there and sometimes they'll change it. Sometimes they'll write in there something like, you know, 60 day due diligence period. And that would mean, you know, basically they've got 60 days to check out this property and do all their investigations and then they'll close it. Right. And so, they can bail at any point during that time for right, specified say, reasons, but really yeah, for any reason. Yeah, for any reason. They could just say, oh, I didn't like the tree that was on this property. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bye. They can get out of it. Right. Yeah. So, so you don't want them having like a due diligence period that's like till the end of escrow. That means that they can bail until the last day, till it's supposed to close. Right. You know, and, and on the other side of that is you don't want them to have a long escrow period, even if there's still a longer, I'm sorry, a due diligence period, mm-hmm. because you're literally tied up and mm-hmm. they can walk to that last second. So right. even if it's going to be like, it's not going to close for six months, even if it's not going to close for six months, you don't want, you know, them to have all that time to get out of it. That's right. Yep. So what do we got next on the list? Oh, checked boxes. Okay, seller paid for surveys, perk tests, septic permits, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So check boxes, basically what I mean by that. And all these contracts, like I said, there's boxes that you can check and there's fields that you can fill in with numbers or there's actually text that you can write in there. The check boxes are pretty important mm-hmm. because sometimes there'll be some standard verbiage, but when they check that box, it basically means an extra expense for the seller. So it could mean, you know, that you have to pay for a survey. It could mean that you have to pay for a perk test. It could mean that you have to pay a certain percentage of their closing costs. Now, all these contracts are a little bit different, but generally when a box like that is checked and it says seller to... Uh, <laughs> I mean, seller's going to be paying some money. Yeah, there. seller, seller to, to pay will part have of a, their profit. Yes, exactly. That's pretty much what it means. So be very concerned about that. A lot of these things are standard, you know, and you'll want to consult with your, your agent, your broker in that area to, to see if that's a standard concession that sellers are making. Mm-hmm. Right. But, uh, you know, if and if one thing that I would caution too is if it says something like seller to pay survey, I would get a quote or get an idea right. of how much that survey is going to cost before I committed to that. Because you don't know, and it's so area specific. It's also, if they're all busy, they're going to charge a premium. Yeah. And also, if you need to close it quickly, then you also need to, you might have to pay extra to have that. Mm-hmm. So get a, at least one quote that they'll actually follow through on before right. you agree to it. That's right. Another thing to look out for is long closing timelines. Right. Yeah. So sometimes you'll have people slip that in there like, oh, okay, we're going to buy this property and we'll close it in 120 days, you know, which is four months, which is an eternity in this land flipping Mm -hmm. business. So, I mean, I generally like I generally push for 30 day closings on these contracts. So I just have to laugh or chuckle sometimes when I see people put these really long closing time frames in there. And I'm like, well, good try. Yeah, the good try. <laughs> you know, I'll just keep it on the market if you can't close sooner than that. I think it's because a lot of them, if they're going to build on it, they're thinking, OK, we'll just instead of having to do any of that, we'll just do a super long escrow and then we can get all the approvals for everything that we need done yeah. during that time. And then it doesn't cost us any more right. any money. It's like, yeah, good try. I talked about it a little bit too uh, before I was like, oh yeah, the six month period. Like if you're doing a long, you don't want, if it's a six month escrow, you don't want a six month 
due, due diligence, diligence period. Yeah. But when would a six month escrow happen? Like, what are the properties that are? Because there are some that commercial that would type be. properties. Mm-hmm. You know, generally, if you've got you're selling a property that's a residential subdivision or something like that, that could be something. It's something not unheard of. Yeah, it's not unheard of. I mean, it's pretty typical actually because they have a long due diligence process, and you know, you're selling something for a really premium premium price generally in a situation like that. So. There's a trade-off. You could be selling something for kind of a, uh, an attractive cash sale type price, and generally they're going to have to close quickly. But if you're getting top dollar premium pricing, uh, you may be able to willing to extend that escrow period, that that due diligence period sometimes. If, right, if and it that's makes not sense, so. like a red flag either. No, on, no, in those not in those commercial transactions. No. Okay, no. Um, and then unreasonable contingencies. Unreasonable contingencies. Yeah, I mean they they could be. You know, uh, this is contingent upon me getting, you know, five perk test locations on this two acre property or something like that. Like maybe it's possible, but it's pretty unreasonable. Something like that would happen. You just want to look through and make sure there's nothing weird in there. That's, you know, that they're, they're planning to use this property for a flea market, but you know, that it's just a residential, you know, type property, or they might say something like this. Oh, this is contingent upon us getting a zoning change or something like Mm -hmm. that. You know, while it's possible, it's pretty unreasonable. You know, it would be a risk they would have to take on their exactly. own, you know. So it's not something that you want to be on the hook for and waiting for this to happen. Right. I think so. I'm going to use the term unreasonable contingency in every day. Like if someone says something that I'm not, I don't want, I'll be like, that sounds like an unreasonable contingency. Okay. You that can start talking like that. I'm sure people will love you. If that sounds very like... Okay. No. Okay. So now we get into a different section. How is the buyer going to pay for the property? Oh, yes. That's one of the most important aspects of the contract. So typically in a lot of these land transactions, we're mm-hmm. actually selling them for cash, mm-hmm. meaning they don't come down to the escrow or the closing office with actual cash, but but it's, sure, money, that's, that- it's money that's in their account that they either wire or they give us you know, cashier's check, something like that. In order Didn't to close. someone one time when we were buying a property ask if they could get, be paid in cash? Mm-hmm. You're right. I've had sellers that ask us to pay them in gold bullion. But that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Gold bullion or crypto. Uh-huh. Crypto but, kind of maybe makes sense, but gold bullion? Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I guess theoretically. Maybe they don't want their, their stuff to be tracked. I don't know. Right. Well, they don't want to pay. They think that that would exempt them from taxes or something. Mm-hmm. But they're, right. but that's not the case if you're using an escrow company. Right. But anyways, I was just thinking of like, actually, that would be very fun. Yes. If you agree to that, you're on your own on that one. Yeah. And Go then ahead. financed. Uh, so it's either cash mm-hmm. or it's finance. So those are kind of the two options. Or they could want you to finance them. Sell so, financing. Yeah. yeah. So they could bring their own financing. And that's that happens sometimes. It's not uncommon for land transactions to be financed. Generally, there's either a land loan that they could get or they could be getting a home equity line of credit or something against their current home that they live in. And then they're using that to pay for this property. So what about like a construction one where they're getting a the land connect? What yes. about that? That's that's an option, too, sometimes. But typically, as a seller, it's not such a great deal for you because a lot of these they're basically called a land and home loan. And generally it's it's quite common with the manufactured home space. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these manufactured home builders have these type of programs or they use lenders that focus on that. And basically they're paying for the land and they're paying for the manufactured home all in the same type at the same time. The problem with those is they take forever. You know, my experience has been 90 to 120 days and they take a long time. I mean, and and they sometimes don't even close. They f- they're more likely yeah. to fall out of escrow. Right. So I, w- I would be real cautious if someone brings you an offer like that. I have expe- accepted those types of deals and they have closed. 
but I've also accepted deals like that and they haven't closed and they've wasted a bunch of my time. So I generally won't accept any of those type of offers anymore unless I've got no other options. If there's no other activity going and it's been sitting forever or something. Right. Something like that. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. And then you say if it's a financed offer, ask for approval or a prequel letter. Yeah. Very important. A lot of times people say, write an offer and they'll put in there, oh, we're getting a loan for this. But they haven't even talked to anyone about getting <laughs> this plan loan. to get the loan. Yeah. yeah. So who knows? Their credit may not be good enough. They may not have the income for that. The lender that they're planning to use may not even do land loans. Right. So it's important for them to really go through that finance. It's like when you're selling a home, too. You, you want to make sure that the person that's writing the offer is actually qualified to actually purchase your property. Mm-hmm. Boost your land flipping earnings with our new Land Conquest business system. It's designed for efficiency and effectiveness. This cutting edge software tool is your key to success in the land flipping industry. Streamline and automate your operations to scale your business to new heights. With our system, you get a customizable website with six professional templates to choose from, up to five dedicated phone numbers, each with their own chosen area codes for creating a trustworthy local presence. And as a bonus, you'll get a $25 credit for SMS and email sends. You'll also get access to our tech team to build any automations or customizations that you want. And not to mention, we've got a great dedicated community to the Land Conquest business system to help us all thrive together. And with every step of the way, you get our 24-7 live chat support. But that's not all. You'll also gain access to our exclusive community to connect and grow with fellow land flippers. Seize the opportunity to transform your business. Visit software.landconquest.com to check out the Land Conquest business system and unlock the next stage of your land flipping success. So they need to have already talked to a lender and you need to see some sort of pre-qual or pre-approval type letter from the lender that they're planning to use because then you don't want to get it locked up in some contract with someone that can't even buy the property in the first place. Right. So you're just wasting your time. Um, And then it says if the offer states that they are getting a loan but haven't talked to their lender, do not sign it until they provide some documentation. You always want that first before you actually sign. Right. Even if they say they have it, you actually need to see it. Right. You know, I think that's one of the big things. Don't sign it until like you need to have it in writing in front of you before you sign anything. And if you're still not sure on that offer, their prequel, you can call. Right. Yeah. Typically you'd have your agent call, you know, make sure that it's actually like, and you know, make sure that the phone number, it also, here's the thing. It can say, Oh, make sure that the phone number that's on there is actually the bank and that the person actually works there. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Trust your gut. If you feel a little squirmish, there's probably a reason. Yeah. Not something they they made on their mm -hmm. computer. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You know, okay. Let's get into sale contingencies. Where do you want to start with that? Well, uh, this is when an offer is contingent on the buyer completing the sale of another property they own. Now, typically, I don't, you know, in the in the land flipping space, I don't like to accept these type of offers at all, but I will in some circumstances. So a sale contingency, they would write this into the offer. They would say, okay, I want to buy your property, but I've got my property, I'm selling my property, and I can't buy your property till mine is sold. Right. So it's like saying, I want to buy your property. But mine has to sell first. Mm-hmm. So it's this, it creates this chain of stuff that's a little more complicated. And I'm not saying that those don't happen. They happen all the time. But it just makes things more complicated. So if you are going to accept a contingency type offer, you've got to make sure that some cer- certain things in, are in place that give it a better chance of actually happening. So when would you do it? I would do it if they are actually selling their property 
they're under contract already. That's number one. They're under contract already. Someone's buying and their house. The bo- yeah. Yes. The person is actually buying their house or buying their piece of land or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're past the due diligence period. For I mean, the sale of their house. Exactly. Okay. So they would have to be past the stage where the buyer could just back out. For any reason. Right. Right. Now, there's other reasons why the sale couldn't happen, mm-hmm. you know, and that still happens sometimes. But it gives you a little bit more assurance that like, okay. They're actually under contract to sell their property already. It's close to closing. The buyer has done all their investigations. They're not planning to back out at this point. So there's a really good shot that that's actually going to happen. So those are actually pretty decent ones because they're selling and then they're going to have that money that they'll use to to close on your purchase. Right. Sometimes they need that money because they want to pay cash. Right. Sometimes they need the money to do a down payment because they're getting financing. Sometimes their financing is contingent on them not having a loan on the house. <laughs> yes. Like they can only qualify because, right. you know, with that gone. So they might be completely legit buyers. They really want it. They would do anything to get it. But, you know, you have to protect yourself first. It's not just about their feelings. Right. Okay. And then on the flip side of that, mm-hmm. like when will we not do those? Right. And these, sometimes these contingent deals get, get pretty complicated. So, and I've had these type of offers before and I've just passed on them because it's, too many things have to fall into place in order for them to happen. Now, say, for instance, a buyer comes to us and wants to buy our property. They write us a contingent offer. And this happens quite a bit, actually. And then they'll say, OK, but it's contingent upon my house selling. And then we dig deeper. OK, so what's the situation with your house? Well, we're planning to list it in three weeks. You know, so they're not under contract or whatever. It's not even uh, for sale. Yeah, It's not even for sale yet, but they're getting close. They're doing all the prep work that, you know. So those type of situations, I just walk away from right away. Like, hey, when you get it under contract and get past the the due diligence period, then we'll talk. Right. You know? If it's but, still available. Right. Exactly. But don't waste your time with those because there's no urgency for them to get things done. It just they just rarely ever happen. Now, another situation that happens sometimes is they'll say, okay, I want to buy your property, but I am under contract to sell my property. That buyer on my property is actually a contingent deal also. Oh, yeah. So it's like this whole chain of stuff. So you've got like... Five contingencies uh, yeah. to get through. And I've seen stuff like that. And mm-hmm. there's just too many... In real estate, there's just too many moving pieces, too many things happening. It's it's rare that something like that's going to be pulled off. Right. And if it does, great. Go ahead and let us know. And if it's right. still available, you can buy it. Right. Like, that's a win for you. Right. You don't need to be worrying about other people's... <laughs> yeah so, of- so you're monitoring all these different deals and how this inspection going you know like I, you don't want to get into that type of stuff um no and you've got the property locked up this whole yeah, time yeah and if it doesn't sell by the time all that happens great it's yeah. available and if and yours it, does it and i know what you're thinking well i'll just take backup offers but no one wants to write backup offers not, because no. if the property's under contract people know that it's probably gone already so i think on land that's even less common backup mm-hmm. offers like yeah. unless it's a commercial property where you're going to be subdividing i don't know right. it just doesn't really happen yeah, yeah it doesn't happen too much and when it does happen sometimes and when you need that backup buyer to step in they've moved on and they don't want to <laughs> they don't want to go through with it anyhow so it's kind of a waste of time and a lot of on a waste yeah so you tell you, what, you kind of have your, your rules of thumb here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just basically, you know, I want them to be under contract and I want it to be past the inspection period. That's kind of the ideal situation. Yeah. So, okay, there's other contingencies that are kind of things to really look out for. Yeah. So these are other common contingencies that are written into these contracts. So I always pay attention to these things. I always look for these things. And just, you know, depending on the state and depending on the customs, 
you know, and your broker, your agent should be able to kind of coach you on that and to let you know what's typical and what's not. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the types of things that I look for that can affect your profitability of the deal and how quickly that can actually get closed. So uh, one of them is a soil inspection. That's a pretty common one, kind of in the southeast. That's a, that's a big thing. And, it's, and northeast, too, in, in a lot of the areas that we worked in. That would be like, you know, it could be contingent upon it press, passing a perk test or a soil a perk test, We've a soil evaluation. We've gotten details on that in past podcasts. It, exactly, yeah. So just keep in mind that, you know, that that's a standard contingency in some areas. So, so look for it to see if it's checked. Unless it's right. on sewer, then. Right. Although I guess that's still something to look out for because if it's on sewer and someone's saying, we want to make sure that it perks mm-hmm. and you're like, it's on sewer. Yeah, it's got sewer access. You know, <laughs> and there's all kinds of things like just because there's sewer there doesn't mean that you can actually connect with it. It's true. Oh. Yeah, that's actually a big deal down here in um, Southern California that the water and waste companies are maxed out. Yeah. So even though max it's, capacity, that doesn't sound good. I know, right? That that sounds messy. <laughs> yeah, but sound uh, messy. I, just, I just stole that joke from you. But yeah, that's true. So. But if it's, you know, if it's, if it's definitely going to be on sewer and they still want you to perk it mm-hmm. or if it's a really small lot that there's no way that there's enough space for even leach fields and they're mm-hmm. still saying they want that, you'd be like, wait a minute, that's yeah. not going to happen. Right. Exactly. Okay. Property inspection. Mm-hmm. You know, that's obviously a standard kind of contingency that's sort of like, um, you know, the buyers have the right to inspect the property, that type mm-hmm. of thing. So in land, you know, that's typically involves them going out to the property and walking it and maybe taking some people that really know what they're talking about to go out there with them. It's, I don't know of a lot of like property inspection companies that just focus on land like that. I mean, you might have engineers that do like the due diligence uh-huh. reports and building feasibility type reports, but you know, and when you're buying a house, there's a home inspector generally that's uh-huh. involved in the process. Not typically on, on land. Do they have anything like that? Maybe there, maybe there's a need for it. I don't know. Trying People. to think how, yeah. I mean, maybe someone that kind of does this overall, like they work the engineers, the soil scientists, they work with like the engineer that actually does the plot lines. And mm-hmm. maybe there is a need for something like that. But yeah, there's not really a, right. it's more like an asset manager or something that would do all that. Okay. You said building feasibility studies. Right. Yeah. They could write that in there. So they could say, oh, I wanted to, you know, I want to be assured that I actually I can actually build on this property and I'm you know subject to a building feasibility study or something like that. Right. Or especially if they have a specific use. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then that would go into the zoning changes. Yeah. See, sometimes you might have this would be pretty rare, but in certain mm-hmm. situations it might come up where they would write a, a contract and say, OK, I'll buy this, but it's subject to me being able to get it changed to commercial zoning or something like that. That's in the gonna, middle of a residential community, right. but I want commercial right there. Yeah. And, and it's definitely, you know, I'd be very wary of those type of situations because in a lot of cases, getting the zoning changed is a process and it's not a sure thing by any means. I tell the story about it. I tried to get the zoning change on the property that we bought and I got shut down. I probably didn't do it the right way because uh, I represented myself, you know, and they saw that I was Someone from California, uh, you know, that, you know, obviously was not involved in the community or anything like that. So if I had to do it again and I will do it again, mm-hmm. I will take a different approach. I want to go into that one sometime on a podcast and talk more about yeah, it. Because, yeah, we could bring down a whole episode uh, about that. There was a sticking point at the end that kind of upset me, but mm-hmm. well, uh, <laughs> okay. I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. We'll talk about that one later. Let, remind, let's remind, do a reminder to do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, fe- uh, fi- I thought I said fencing. 
That mm-hmm. could be something, maybe, okay. but fencing could be a situation, right. but you have financing. Financing contingency. Yeah, pretty common. If someone's going to get a loan for your property to buy your property, they're going to have a financing contingency in there. It's typically a box that's checked about that. And uh, financing contingency basically means that, you know, that their lender is actually going to fund the loan. They can bail to the last minute, pretty much. Yeah, they can say, um, oh, my lender denied me. Right. So. And then there's sometimes where it says, okay, well, past this time, then we get to keep the deposit, mm-hmm. even right. if your financing falls through. I mean, it makes sense, though. If they can't get financing, or if they use that as an excuse, it is what it is. Like, we right. just, it's better not to fight these things. If right. people do bail, let them bail. Right. Yeah, just move on to the next better buyer. Right. Get it listed right away. <laughs> yeah. Permits being issued. So septic, well, driveway, buildings, et cetera. We don't talk about wells too much. Uh-huh. Yeah, some areas, wells are super important, mm-hmm. you know, the, depending on the availability of water in those areas. So uh, it could be, you know, a situation where they're writing into the contract, like they want the actual permits, like it's mm-hmm. contingent upon them actually being issued permits for a well or a septic system or something not like that. Not just the study, not just someone's opinion. It's right. the actual permit where it's exactly. like, you can do it now. So that's another step. You know, some areas, mm-hmm. the permit, to get the permits very easy. Right. Some areas, it's a very extensive process. In California here, getting a permit for some of these things takes a long time and costs a lot of money and... Things like that. So I wouldn't accept a contingent contract on one of those things being done in an area that's that's very difficult, you know, for that because you know you're you're going to be basically along the the journey with them. And if and if you wanted to, if you wanted to wait that long, why wouldn't you just do it yourself and get those permits in place, and then you can charge uh, more. charge more for the property. So mm-hmm. um, that's common like around here, like to get um, permits to yeah. build a house. Yeah. Oh, my pet peeve is when they list it in the MLS, it's a picture, a rendition of the, you know, done. They list it as a built house. You're like, well, that's a, it's not even, it's not even like like in the home category. Yes. Yes. And you click through and you're like ready to build permits. You know what I'm like? Yeah. No, it's not like, do not do this to me. Right. I thought this was a deal at $4 million, but no. A it's not. deal at $4 million. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. So ridiculous. But okay. Anything else you want to add to that? I think those are really good things. And yeah. If, where can they find more information about this? Well, this is all, uh, this is an excerpt, small excerpt from our training program, the Land Conquest training program. It's not a course, other. It's a training program, more extensive than a typical online course, which will actually be released within the community i'm thinking i'm thinking within a couple weeks probably by the time that they're seeing that i bet you that's what yeah so this will will be out a week and a half from the filming right Mm now so probably not quite out when you're listening to this but very soon so all you have to do in order to get access to this training program is to go to landconquest.com click one of the big orange buttons on there you'll get access to the community and then that's being released within the community and it's, there's no charge for this training program. I'm going to be releasing it absolutely free. Okay. Sounds good. I'm excited. Good. I'm I glad you're excited. Else. And I, yes. I'm not showing it, but I, I'm super excited. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. Let's move on to the next segment, if you okay. will. It's, um, I need to come up with a really good name for this, but like questions for Pete. We'll start call it that. Questions for Pete. Okay. That Heather will jump in on. Okay. So these are questions in our land flipping, the land conquest, mm-hmm. land flipping community. So we have a very vibrant community happening there. And uh, we've got people, we've got brand new, a lot of brand new investors, land investors, people interested in it. We've got seasoned land investors that are making over a million dollars a year. So it's a really cool, it's a really cool thing because everyone's interacting, helping each other out, asking and answering questions. We've got people that fund deals in there like ourselves. We will be happy to partner on any deals with you. 
uh, and I just registered a new domain and hopefully it'll be up by the time this is um, this is active. It's called partnerwithpete.com. So go to partnerwithpete.com. You'll see a form to fill out on there. If you have a deal, put the information on there and I'll let you know, know real quickly if I can fund that deal for you. So we're just trying to, you know, we know that the roadblocks that people face because when we started, we faced them. So we're trying to mitigate each of those. Yeah. Yeah. It's super easy. You find a deal. If it's a true deal, get it funded, make money. Yeah. And exactly. And, and our program is a little bit different than a lot Mm -hmm. of the other funders out there. Meaning that as soon as you bring the deal and I say, Hey, we can do it. Basically I'm going to plug it into our team and our whole system. So you don't have to do anything from there. Basically we'll take over all the due diligence. We'll hire the photographer. We'll open up the escrow and the the uh, closing side of things. Um, we'll do all of the due diligence. We'll, we'll find use, the broker. Right. We'll use know. our connections to get all that done. Right. And then after it closes, we will then resell the property. We will get everything done on that side of things. So basically, you just have to bring the deal. We'll keep you looped in on the process along the way. And at the end of the day, we will be splitting the profits 50-50. So. Okay. I'm excited to see this get going. Yeah, me too. Okay, so let's start with, um, Lewis has a question. Um, of course, hey, apologies if this has already been asked lately or oh. answered. I'm just wondering if there's been any update on the course. Is there a timeline? Thanks. Yes, well, I guess I already just talked about that. That's but yes, okay. very, very soon. I'm already done with all the stuff, filmed all the videos this past weekend, finished up on that, finished up on all the documents, the spreadsheets, all the organization. It's just with the video editor right now, and he's kind of powering through, getting all those videos edited. I tilted it up. It was something like, I don't even know how many videos it was. I know it was 500 something slides of information. I think, I think like 80 videos or something Man. like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it's going to be exciting. It's but that's, extensive. But know. that's what people need because mm-hmm. they need to get in and get going and they need to know everything or as much as it's, possible. It's everything that's up here. It's like our whole business that I, you know, downloaded or offloaded into this training program. So you can follow those exact steps. Hey, the way that we do things is not the only way to do things. So right. maybe. Maybe you have a better way. I don't know. But well, it's the exact no, way that I know that works right. that we do. Take so. it and then put your spin on it too. Right. See how you work. Okay, I'm excited about that. Thank you for sharing. Sure. Brian says, this is a good question because, and, and it does come up, non-disclosure states sales data. Hey, all, does anyone know of any good resources on sales data for non-disclosure states? So start with what that is. Yeah, non-disclosure states are states that do not report the sales prices, the sale prices in the public records. So like South Carolina, is that one? Uh, no, I don't believe South Carolina. Texas, Texas is one, okay. Missouri. Um, there, there's, uh, I think about 10 states in total that are non-disclosure states. So what, wait, what's about South Carolina? Is it that you can't, there's no, uh, they have a weird rule about marketing using marketing. public data. Okay. So another question for another day. Exactly. Okay. Go on. Are you looking for funding for your land flipping deal? Then head on over to partnerwithpete.com. It's an innovative new funding program where we split the profits with you 50-50, but we take it one step further and we handle every other step of the process in the land flipping business. Yes, that means we handle all the due diligence. If the property needs any value add like clearing brush, perk test, survey, we'll get that paid for up front. Then when the property resells, We split the profits 50-50. There is absolutely no downside for you as an investor. If we lose money, we don't pass that on to you. But when we make money, when we make profit, we split the proceeds 50-50. So as a recap, we handle every part of the process. We split the profits with you 50-50. There's no downside for you as the investor, only upside. So go to partnerwithpete.com, submit your deal there, and we'll get it checked out within 24 hours. 
Yeah. So uh, as far as the non-disclosure states mm-hmm. go, there's about 10 of these states. And what's difficult is that typically in a lot of these other states, we're able to look on Zillow, Redfin, all these areas and get actual sales comps, meaning we're able to see what properties sold for. So we get a really good idea of what these properties that we're looking at are actually worth. Mm-hmm. In those type of states, there's none of this data. So you have to kind of piece together a puzzle in order to come up with the value. So how you piece together that puzzle is you network with uh, brokers and agents that have a, a better idea of what's going on. You look at what's listed. Mm-hmm. You see what those prices are. You look at stuff like, okay, I see that that property sold. The sales price is not reported. But what was it last listed at? How long was it on the market before it went under contract? See, all these things, all these data points you can kind of use to piece together what you think, a good idea of what that property sold for. Right. And the thing um, that I think is interesting about that is whenever there's resistance, there's opportunity. Yeah. Because like you just explained, you're going to have to do more work. Like it's it's not not as easy. easy. Right. But that means that you're going to probably get rid of 99% of the competition in that area. Right. Because they're just not going to be willing to do it. Right. So if you have the time, if that, if you're into that kind of analytics, if you're not, that's okay. Right. That's not the right place for you. It's a more advanced thing. So I wish there was some mm-hmm. sort of database that someone kept that had all this data that I could just pay for or something like that, but it's not available. Right. Okay. Todd has a question. Property on major highway impact on value. I um, have a five acre property on a major interstate highway equidistant. Equidistant? <laughs> okay. That's a new word for yeah, me. Yeah, okay. Don't make fun of me. Between two metros. Pretty busy thoroughfare. Currently used as an agriculture uh, what impact would you say the highway will have on this property for either existing use or perhaps on a small homestead? Appreciate any insight, opinions, or experience with these types of properties. Thanks. And thank you, Todd, for being my vocabulary of the day. Okay. Okay. Word of the day, equidistant. <laughs> okay. So this, this happens a lot. We, we see a lot of these properties that come in that are, they're on, they have frontage on a major highway, mm-hmm. you know? So first thing I would I would take a look we at. We were actually just looking at one a couple of days ago. Do you remember that? Uh, no. You don't? It no. was like a long skinny here. Oh, open yes. There. Was, I said, look at this property. Uh-huh, yeah. But it was like on. The, I was like, darn, you know, yeah. it, it's interesting. But we were wondering, how did this happen? Yeah. How did this shape get here? How did this happen? Go on. Who knows? But, you know, we see this a lot, like these properties that have mm-hmm. this road fringe on this major highway. And first of all, the first thing to look at is that even though it has this road frontage, that's not actual road frontage. It's not like you can access your property from that highway. Well, it's like a, so, a huge highway. It's not like right. they're going to make an exit just for you. Yeah, so maybe you could pull on the shoulder and like walk onto your property, but you're probably not allowed to stop there or park your car there, that's for sure. Or off-road off there now. Right, so you're not going to be able to build a driveway to access your property that mm-hmm. way. Uh, the other, So you got to make sure that there's access from the backside or some uh like some, some other way. Yeah, way yeah exactly so just make sure you know this is a residential zone property it's or agricultural zone property uh-huh. so yes i could see a property being having use as a agricultural type thing it's not going to have a lot of appeal as a just a residential home site right because mm-hmm. who's going to want to live like right next to this giant major interstate highway you know there's going to be a lot of road noise it's going to be haven't you ever just been driving on the freeway and, and you're like, who in the world yeah. built their house? It's like this big, like, 
house and it's looking out on a major highway. Right. It's just, there's going to be, there was actually one that was very priced really well around here mm-hmm. and they had it in the MLS on a different area. Remember the dot was yeah. there. So I was like, yeah. I got to look, cause this isn't right. I drive out there and it's no, it's on the top looking out over the freeway. Yeah. And, and this is like, still hasn't sold. This is like five lanes in each direction too. Like uh-huh. major, major freeway. Right. So not a lot of people are going to want mm-hmm. that. So, uh, of course the, the land is going to have to be adjusted accordingly. Now, if there's a potential for um, maybe a billboard or so, yeah. or maybe some sort of commercial use, maybe it would be, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it would have some more value. But uh, just as an agricultural type zone or re- regular residential property, it's going to have lesser value being on a road like that. Right. Unless, I mean, I guess the only way is if if that's the community standard, they're all kind of like that. And like you're saying, there's like site that you get access a street that's kind of on the side or something like that. And the property is big enough that, yeah, even though it is, it's wooded, you're not going to hear it. And your yeah, house is yeah, maybe here. you've got a bunch of established trees there that really mm-hmm. block the noise and the, and the view of the highway. So but you yeah. just have to take a, a, a deeper look onto that. Exactly. Okay. Um, Anson asks, how accurate are Redfin estimates? Do you ever take Redfin estimates into consideration when you're trying to value vacant land for infill lots or larger acreage? The automated values that you see on Redfin and Zillow and, these sites like that for mm-hmm. land are rarely very accurate. Right. The problem is that each piece of land is different. So, you know, there's some automated pricing models and things like that that are out there. It's just really hard to get it right because there, there's no consistency between a lot of these properties, especially when you're talking about rural properties. You know, I always talk about this, like on, on the same street, you know, there could be three 10 acre properties. One could be all woodland. One could be all beautiful farmland. One could be all swamp. Mm-hmm. But these automated pricing models, they have no clue. They just take an what, average so of what's they, sold. They just right. take an average. So, and then your property is being compared against one of these others that randomly sold. And you just, you know, you just don't know until you actually dig in deeper. So, no, I would love for them to be very accurate, but they're not. But that's opportunity. Again, that's right. You know, because if it was easy and if you could just look at it like that, then everyone could do it. That's right. Now, I have to say, like, in, uh, with Zillow or Redfin, mm-hmm. sometimes they're automated models, especially when you're talking about the residential homes in subdivisions, mm-hmm. you know, where homes are pretty exactly much all the same. same. They right. can get pretty close. You know, these automated, they can get pretty close on the values. Now, obviously, there's upgrades and things that they don't take into consideration. But generally, you know, they're, they're pretty good with that type of stuff. But the land is just so different that that I've rarely seen them being anywhere close to, to reality. Yeah, it so. makes sense. Well, I mean, I think that pretty much wraps up this week. Any other comments you wanted to add about anything? Uh, no real comments aside from I do want to do a couple reminders. Mm-hmm. First of all, if you haven't checked out, if you're interested in land flipping and you haven't checked out any of the income reports that I do, I spend a lot of time on this and my team helps me as well. But every month we do a monthly income report and that pretty much breaks down everything in our land flipping business, how much revenue we did, how much profit we did, you know, like uh, all the properties that we sold that month, like what we bought them for, what we sold them for, how much profit we made, bunch of notes on each of those. So I do two versions. I do one version, which is a blog post, pretty extensive. And then also I do a video related to that as well, where I break down each and every property and show you the pictures and the Thank you video, for doing that, like that because you're I welcome. am a blog reader. Okay. And I know you're a video watcher. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I know people, you know, consume content in different ways. And some people like the written side of things. Some people prefer that. So I can do both. It's pretty easy kind of. um, So 
not easy, but, <laughs> but it's, yeah. it, it takes a lot of time, but I feel like uh, I've gotten a lot of great feedback that people really like those reports. So I'm going to continue doing them unless I'm getting feedback that says, I don't like these and it's a waste, <laughs> I don't your, think that'll waste of your time. I think it'll be me being like, okay, enough. We need to, yeah. we need to get on do stuff. Um, okay. And then where can people find you? Uh, basically, you know, best place would be Instagram, Reese Peter, or our YouTube channel. We're really trying to build up our YouTube channel. And you just go to at Turning Profit to find that. To listen to this podcast, if you're watching it on YouTube, you can just search Turning Profit in any of the major podcast platforms and you'll pull us up and you'll see us there. So our downloads are really increasing. Our downloads went up you know, another 50% this past month. So it's really starting to gain a lot of momentum. So we're really trying to build that up as much as we can. We really love this kind of longer form content. You know, the Instagram and everything like that is nice. It just gives little snippets of different things, but but we love uh, to do these podcasts because we feel like it just gives us a better chance to express, you know, the, the things that we want to convey. Right. And I think it helps people understand these different issues or, you know, whatever, a lot deeper. Yeah. And ultimately, if you are interested in land flipping, the biggest suggestion I could make would be to join the land conquest community. Yeah, and Pete cares about his ratings, so if you want to do, give him a thumbs up or a okay. five-star review, he would like that. Yeah, or subscribe to the YouTube channel. Any uh -huh. of that kind of stuff you could do would be great. Or leave us a comment. That yeah. really helps as Even well. Even better, share it with a friend if you think they're interested in ways to invest their money um, in ways that aren't necessarily mainstream if they want to get into land investing. That's right. Yeah, that and cool. the other thing I can mention, too, is that looking for private lenders that are interested in getting a better return than mm -hmm. just you know a CD at the bank or something like that. So there's ways that... You can work with me on, on uh, funding some of these transactions and things that where you get a higher percentage rate. So if you're interested in that, there's a form on our website, Turning Profit, where it's just a lender. I think it says um, lender or something like that is the, the heading at the top. So just uh, just go there and there's a little form for you to fill out and then we can get on a Zoom call or something. Okay. And if you have questions about any of this, where can they email those off to or Oh. Uh, well, definitely ask any uh, any type of land flipping questions in the community. Mm -hmm. That's the best spot. And then if you have any sort of deals like or lender, anything like that, that kind of stuff. oh, for, uh, as a lender, you mm -hmm. just uh, email Reese at turningprofit.com. Like if you're not sure where you'd be in that. Right. Yeah. If you need funding, also Reese at Turning Profit. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah. Or partner with Pete.com. Partner Pete. There we go. Yeah. Lots um, of different stuff. To make I know. It. Do you have any other reminders? I think I. No other reminders at the moment, I don't think. Okay. Well, I don't remember if there's any other reminders. <laughs> there's the problem, right? Maybe okay. you should remind me of any reminders that I need to do. Oh, no. It sounds Can't dangerous. Can't remember them. I know. Me neither. Okay. Well, thank you guys for joining us for another episode. Yep. And we'll see you next week. See you. Bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. And if you're ready to start turning profit yourself, visit our website at turningprofit.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word by sharing it with a friend. See you on the next episode.